good morning, and it's good to see you all here today. I'm Michael Hall. I'm pastor here at Sandoval United Methodist Church. Uh, it is wonderful to be able to be here to worship with you all today, and it's good to be back from our vacation. We had a very nice time off, and we enjoyed it very much. In terms of announcements, don't have a whole bunch of them, but they are ones that both apply to folks that are here and also online. So probably the first and foremost thing that's kind of been on some people's minds is, as some of you all know, Marion County is in the Southern Illinois region for dealing with the coronavirus. And uh, we have recently had to have new mitigations put in place due to rising numbers. That being said, I've done some checking over the course of the week. And as of right now, the mitigations that are put in place now do not have any impact on worship services. Now, if we were to have another activity here at the church, then they do come into play. But currently for worship services, they do not have any impact. So we're still where we can have, my understanding is upwards of 50 people in here, and that really shouldn't be a problem. So uh, we are in good shape, at least in, in that respect. We do want to keep the numbers down. We want to encourage folks to continue to practice uh, good protection measures so that we can get the numbers back down and work closer and closer to getting back to normal. Uh, also, next Sunday will be a communion Sunday, provided things are still going well. We'll plan on having communion uh, this next coming Sunday, and we will do it the same way as we did the last time at the beginning of October. Um, aside from that, one other thing I would like to mention is even though we have, um, you know, the coronavirus and all these things going on, we still need to have things in our worship life and our spiritual life to where we, we can, we need to still be able to have as many of the same things as we had before, even in the midst of all this, because uh, that's one of the keys to good mental health. It's one of the keys to being able to continue to be close to God is to continue our worship activities. And so the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I do want to still plan on having our um, Christmas service. Granted, it will be modified. Um, we'll have to have just limited individuals involved. We won't be able to have where everybody can come up and hang a Christmas ornament. But I do want to do the readings and talk about each of the ornaments. And if nothing else, what I might do is I might have, we might have the tree pre-decorated or something like that. And I might have an example of each ornament to hold up and read the description of it. But we've got time between now and then to decide how we want to do that. But I really feel like those things are important uh, to the, the fabric of worship in our church. They're things that uh, you all have had here for years and years, and to have to not do it in any way, shape, or form, I think would not be beneficial. But we can work out the logistics a little later as to how we are going to do that. Aside from that, I don't really have much else to add. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and, and what we've got in mind is uh, we have a, a next um, church board meeting is Tuesday November 3rd, and second Tuesday month, 7 p.m., we will have an in-person Meeting, mm -hmm. um, um, whether it's here in the fellowship hall, probably the fellowship hall, and that'd be an evening we'll, we'll probably work out all the details of how mm -hmm. the Christmas service will go. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, need, need to have those things, just like we're getting back to having communion and things like that. Unless mitigations get to the point where we just can't, we, we want to keep those things going. So, 
Uh, other than that, I don't think there's anything else. Um, at the end of our service, uh, whenever we go offline, we can have a brief prayer for joys and concerns because it is important to, to lift those folks up that are in need of prayer. So but let's open with prayer today. Gracious and loving God, we come to you today, your grateful and thankful people. We praise you for your goodness and love. We ask that you be with us in our worship today, and we ask that you would just speak to us in this time. We pray your blessings upon us, that our worship would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Please join me with our call to worship. I might need to read it off of there. I forgot to get this on. There we go. <clears throat> you are loved. Love is love. When you love God, you love others. When you truly lay down your life for others, you down your life to God. Give yourself to God by serving others. come to our time this morning of sharing with each other and with God our joys and our concerns. This is a time of drawing close to God, knowing that he hears us when we cry out for his help. Uh, sometimes it seems like we are in a world where sometimes we feel all alone, but we are not. God is there. He does hear us when we cry out to him, and he will guide us and direct us through the difficulties of life, even though they may seem insurmountable. And so at this time, as we listen to this next song, let us draw closer to God, knowing that he does hear us when we pray, and he is there for us, and he is working all things for the good of those who love him.
Most gracious and holy God, we come to you today, your thankful people, thankful for the goodness and the love that you've shown us in our lives. Gracious God, we come to you praying your blessings upon us in this time. Lord, we thank you for the joy of uh, being able to celebrate confirmation with Kellen Norton and his family at the end of our service today. We thank you, Lord, for the love you've shown us through your son Jesus, that he came to live and die and rise again, that we might know you. Holy God, we come to you praying that you would forgive us of our failings. Take us and shape us into the image of your Son, that we might be your lights in the world. Lord, we pray for those who are sick and who are hurting. We pray for your healing to be with them. We pray for those who are grieving that your comfort would be with them and your peace. Holy God, we come to you praying for our doctors and our nurses, our military and our law enforcement, Lord, our peacekeepers, our peacemakers and our healers. Praying that you guide, direct and protect them, but most especially let them know that they are never alone, but that you are with them. Gracious God, we pray for our leaders in government that you would give them wisdom from on high to do what is right. And most of all, Lord, we pray and look forward to that day when your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we pray for those who do not know you. We pray that you would use us as your ministers to share your love with them. That all might come to know the name of Jesus and be saved. Gracious God, we just come to you asking that you be with us in our worship. We lift up all of our joys and concerns and lay them down at your feet in the name of your Son, Jesus, knowing you hear our every prayer and in the power of your Holy Spirit. We continue to pray to you this day the prayer your Son, Jesus, taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Part of the reason I had mentioned the Christmas service is because the series of sermons that I am beginning today is going to take us up to and up to uh, the Sunday of the Christmas service. So for the next several weeks, we are going to be in the book of Daniel, which uh, might seem a little bit different for some of you, especially since it's in the Old Testament. Uh, in particular, I wrote this series with the thought in mind that we are coming into election season. And there are, there are going to be churches where they are talking about how Christians can best be a good influence in the world, uh, both politically and in terms of civic duty. But what I want to focus on is how we can continue to be faithful followers of God in a faithless World and how we can be God's representatives to the powers of the world. Because that, in fact, is who Daniel is called to be. He is going to be one who is going to be put in a position within worldly government to speak the truth of God to power. And that, I feel, is what we as Christians are called to do is to speak truth to power. And so we begin this series with Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. This message is going to be called Caught in the Cogwheels of History. And it says, During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff named, renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I am afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. 
If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Imagine for a moment that you have suddenly been taken away from the only home that you have ever known. You are taken to a place where the people don't speak like you. They don't serve the same God as you. And you have no choice but to accept the fact that you will never go home again. You will never see your family again. You will never worship again in your church. And you will never see the comforting locales that were so familiar to you as a youth. This is exactly the situation that Daniel and his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are in at the start of the book of Daniel. As we begin this new series, I want to start with a few outline points so that you can follow where we will be going over these next few weeks. The story of Daniel is one that is a mix of personal divine experience as Daniel and his friends get to experience the protection and love of God in spite of antagonistic circumstances. And it's also a mix of prophecy as we see these men thrust upon the world stage as God's representatives to the powers of the world. In particular, Daniel is a powerful account of how to live as a faithful follower of God in a pagan society. I think it is prudent in light of our current culture to learn from the past to understand how we too can live as faithful representatives of God in a way that honors God without coming across as combative and uncaring. We will spend pretty much all of our time in the first seven chapters 
of Daniel. At a later time, maybe after Advent and the first of the year, we may come back to Daniel and look at chapters 8 through 10 a bit. But for the most part, I want to focus on Daniel and his friends' experiences working within the Babylonian Empire. The beginning of this book, we get some snippets of information that need a little bit of clarification. This is the beginning of the end of Jerusalem. So to give some background here, I think it's a century or so prior to this time, and I don't have hard dates to quote to you right now, but roughly a century to 150 years, I think, before the time in question here. The northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrian Empire. And what happened in, I would say, probably from around the year 700 through the year 400, there was this constant shifting in power focus in the Near East, in what we would know as modern-day Iran and Iraq. And we had the Assyrian Empire, which then collapsed and was conquered by what's referred to by historians as the Neo-Babylonian Empire, meaning the New Babylonian Empire. There was a previous Babylonian Empire that was centered out of the region surrounding the ancient city of Babylon, that we get the famous Code of Hammurabi, that if you've uh, ever heard of that in history class or if you've had anything to do with law, uh, Hammurabi comes up a lot with the Code of Hammurabi, but this is the Neo-Babylonian Empire. It's much later. So Babylon is now the up-and-coming power, and they are in the process of absorbing the other kingdoms surrounding them. And the way they would do it is they would go... They would show up with a big army and they would say, we're bigger and badder than you. Pay us money once a year and we'll leave you alone. And in fact, we'll protect you. So quite frankly, it's kind of like the mafia. It's like, pay us protection money and nothing bad's going to happen to you. If you don't pay the protection money, we're going to come and break your windows. Except with the Babylonian Empire, it was, we will come destroy your cities, uh, kill your children, and haul your young men and young women away to Babylon. Judah had begun acquiescing to the commands of Babylon, but then King Jehoiakim, who was not a faithful follower of God, decided that it was an unpopular thing to do to behave weak, and he stood up to Babylon, and he failed miserably. The city is invaded, the temple is sacked, the Babylonians steal many of the sacred objects in the temple and take them back to their temples, committing blasphemy. And they again said to Jehoiakim, they said, you do what we tell you or else. This is the first of three invasions which will ultimately result in Jerusalem being pretty much destroyed entirely. But one of the things they did in this first invasion is they went in and they gathered up a bunch of the young noblemen and brought them back to Babylon. They were taken captive. This also was probably around the same time that the prophet Ezekiel is taken to Babylon. So Daniel and Ezekiel were probably contemporaries. 
But these ruling class people are taken into Babylon. And ultimately this all fulfills what the prophets had been warning the kings of Judah about for the last probably century with Isaiah and ending in Jeremiah saying, look, if you do not repent and return to God, God is going to send somebody big and bad to thump you. And this is what happens. God has sent Nebuchadnezzar. We call him Nebuchadnezzar typically, but if you want to start getting into the proper pronunciation, it gets a little more complicated. Sends him and he begins this campaign of conquest of Judah. So in essence, the king of Babylon is fulfilling what all these previous prophets had said was going to happen. Now the king wants to assimilate the upper class, and this was a beneficial way of governing. You go, you conquer people, you take a bunch of them captive, but then when you get them back to your capital, you feed them well, you fatten them up, you say, look, we have all these nice things here that you didn't have back in your home. We're going to give you a really nice job in the government if you'll just do what we tell you. We're going to give you a good Babylonian education for free. And it's not going to cost you anything. Just do what we tell you. And this was a way of bringing in the rulers, getting them to think like you and act like you, make them into Babylonians, and then you can kind of move them around and use them to help govern the territories. He offers plum state positions to those who completed the training. And it's interesting that the qualifications that Nebuchadnezzar sets for who is acceptable for this training are similar to the same qualifications that God has for making a good priest. They're without blemish. They're young men. They're, they're good people. So in essence, Nebuchadnezzar is taking the people that belong to God and he's trying to make them serve his gods. Because what you have to understand is all the empires in those days were theocracies. The king was the leader of worship as well. And the state gods, this was state-sponsored religion, okay? You had to worship the gods of the nation that you lived in. The chief god of the Babylonians was named Marduk, the god of cities. So they're taken and they're going to be given training. They're given a Chaldean or Babylonian education. I want to explain what that means. You're taught their literature, which we're not talking Shakespeare here. When they say literature, this is their sacred scriptures. So whatever constituted the Old Testament or the Bible for the Babylonians, that's what they're being trained in. They're being trained in pagan religion. They were taught magic, which you have to understand magic was a very important thing in those days. The ability to read signs in the stars and to be able to frankly pull off parlor tricks as a power play. And they had their own prophets as well. Prophecy was important in Babylon. By giving them the food that was the same food that the king ate, it was meant to integrate himself 
to his new captive staff. In other words, it was to make them look and say, we are beholding to the king. He's the one that feeds us, and he feeds us his best. Okay? This is all part of reshaping these people into being people to work for you. They're even given new names, and there's purpose and meaning behind these names. I'm not going to get into the details, but Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah all had good Hebrew names that all pointed to God and God's faithfulness and power. The names that they are given in Babylon are all names that make references to Babylonian gods. They're trying to change them, okay? This was all about replacing the identity and culture of the individual and making them into Babylonians. There is one other thing worth mentioning here, and this is something that's debated, but I think it's entirely possible, and that is the distinct possibility that Daniel and his friends are now eunuchs because uh, there are some translations of these passages that indicate that they may be eunuchs. And this was a common thing for kings to do for people that worked in their household. Not going to get into the reasons why, other than just the fact that if you work in the palace, you're also working near the king's harem. And enough said with that. But they oftentimes did this to the people that worked in the palace. Okay, so yes, they're given an education. Yes, they're given good food. But they are being stripped of their identity and even possibly their ability to have children. And for a Jew, having children is very important. Because part of being a Jew, you have this tie to the land. God gave the people the land. And if you do not have children to succeed you, there is no one there to inherit the land that God has for you. And it means the slow disappearance of your people. Today we live in a culture that values possessions, entertainment, pleasure, comfort, and ease. The church has far too long turned a blind eye to what many see as minor vanities. And what we have seen in America is a progressively weakened church to the point where many see it as a quaint but redundant institution that the only benefit is aid to the poor, which can be found in the government and other institutions as well. We see how, like the children of Israel, our children are taken like captives by the culture today as the vast majority of children raised in the church will leave those churches by the end of college. Sorry if this is bad news, but I'm just the messenger here. We have a culture that says just do what we say and you will be well taken care of. You will be well fed and you'll have nice things. Don't worry about your old home, the church. We can offer you something better. And as I said, the church loses more of its own to the culture that sees it as obsolete. But that church, that the church at least, the mainstream church, can't seem to get the guts to hold a mirror up to the culture to reveal all of its ugliness and sickness. Because that, frankly, is what the church is called to. To be a loving representative of God to the world. 
to hold up a mirror to the culture and say, look at how messed up we are as people. We need help. And God is the only one that can do it. And he sent his son Jesus to do it. So if we ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do in light of this situation? I want to return again to the book of Daniel. Daniel refuses to assimilate. He's willing to learn about the culture that he is in, but he does not become embedded in the culture that he is in. He is, as we say, in the world, but not of it. He is also respectful to his overseer. We don't see him go to his overseer, his trainer, and say, look, I'm not eating that nasty food you're bringing before me. I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to taint myself with that. No. He says, I have a proposition for you. Let us eat just vegetables and water for 10 days, and then you be the judge. And if we look as healthy as we should. And ultimately, they look healthier than those who ate the fatty food. They're given special insight into dreams, and as a result of their wisdom that is better than the court magicians who were fraudsters, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah gain the favor of the king, and now they find themselves in positions to be God's spokespersons to a pagan king. We experience a lot of pressure to assimilate into mainstream culture. We also experience pressure from some Christians who feel we should be in all-out war with the culture. Daniel gives us the proverbial coin landing on its edge. Neither giving in to the culture nor going to war with it. This seemingly two-solution problem suddenly has a third. Be in the world, but not of it. Hold to your convictions, but do so courteously and lovingly. Learn about the culture that you are in, but don't be absorbed and controlled by it. Be willing to say no to the luxuries that are dangled in front of you, but be willing to work diligently for those who see you as odd for your faith. Ultimately, you too may find yourself in the position to act as a spokesperson for God in an ungodly world. And if we lead by this example, when our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren go on to find their way in the world, they will more likely find the path of compassionate yet uncompromising faithfulness appealing in a world that seems ready to turn on itself in a moment's notice. Amen. As we continue in our worship service today, we have one other confirmation to celebrate today. Kellen Norton is being confirmed in the church today. And so with that, I'd like to ask him and his representatives to come up here for a moment. And we will have a moment of celebration of confirmation with Kellen and his family today.
find my page here.
In the fullness of time, he said, Jesus, nurtured in the water of the womb, he was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit, bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. Tell the Holy Spirit work within you, that having been born through water and the Spirit, you may live as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And to you I say, remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. As members of Christ's Universal Church, I ask that you accept Helen into the family of God this day. God, of all grace, has called us to eternal glory in Christ, establish you and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may live in grace and peace. Amen. And Kellen, for you today, I have a Bible that if you go and download the app for it, it um, you can scan each page and it's got little videos and stuff with it. And also a certificate of confirmation today, so congratulations. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you. 
Most gracious, holy, and loving God, as we depart here today, we pray that you go with us, guide us, and direct us, and protect us, and keep us well until we're able to meet here again. Help us to have the courage to speak truth to power. And we pray, Lord, that we would look for opportunities to be your people, to be your spokespersons to those who are in authority. We just praise you and thank you and ask that you be with us till we meet here again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And go in peace. Thank you.